You know, I always think it's so endearing when a pastor gets up and says that this is his favorite passage to speak about, you know. I did that last week, and I was really honest about that. But it's kind of awkward when it's not the pastor's favorite passage to speak about. And here's a moment of full disclosure. When I opened my Bible to see what we were going to talk about, and I saw Luke 8, the parable of the sower and the soils, I was a bit disappointed. Because maybe the first 50 times I read this parable, it would have been my favorite passage in the Bible. But after you've heard this thing a hundred times, and after you've heard a hundred sermons on it, you begin to think, what else is there to say? There's four soils. Don't be the first three. You know what I'm saying? Um, But that kind of exposes two faults about me. The first is when I approach my Bible, I kind of have this, this desire for novelty, I want something new. I want something I hadn't heard before. I want to be, be challenged by that. And it's just this craving for something new. And the second one is like it, is that I feel like when I've heard something or understood it, I've applied it. And neither of those things are true. And actually, this parable itself challenges the entire process of what it means to hear the word of God and hold on to it and to bear fruit through it. This is going to challenge that because Jesus is going to say that these very parables have prophetic power. They do something. They're active. Because our sanctuary is kind of set up like a classroom, we have a stage and a lectern, we have people sitting in an audience, we can begin to think about that when we open the Bible, we're going to hear a lecture. We're going to hear somebody teach on something. But, but this parable itself is saying so much more than that is happening. We're not a classroom here. We're, we're a field of different soils. And this is not a a speech or a lecture. This is the word of God coming like seed and falling on the soils of our hearts. Even today, as this thing happens, it's active. It's living. There is no static observer of Jesus. There's nobody who stands by and just kind of listens to what he has to say. Because every time Jesus speaks, our heart needs to give a response. Our heart needs to answer to what he is saying. So we don't just sit by idly. When I read this passage to us, I want you to imagine the seeds of the word of God falling on your heart. And the Bible, this prophetic parable is asking us today, what is that doing in your heart? Is it taking root and growing up? Or is it lacking nutrients and withering? That's the question that we come to when we look at Luke chapter 8. So let me read for us this parable starting in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew up and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones of the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. 
And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for those in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we pray for this entire process. We pray that you would sow the seed of the word of God liberally among us. And we pray that even today you would make us soil ready to hear and to respond to your word. Only you can do this. Only your spirit can move in our heart in that way. And so we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. What Jesus is doing here, what he's talking about in this parable is a very common scene in first century Israel. These people understood what Jesus was talking about. This, this parable, this story is about a farmer who is going out to sow his field. And so you can picture this man walking along a path in his field and he's got a bag of seed at his side and he's taking handfuls of the seed and throwing that into the land. And as you can imagine, as the seed scatters, it's going to land in different places and do different things. Well, some people have rightly called this not the parable of the sower, but the parable of the soils, because what we're really engaging with and contrasting here are the four different soils that the seed lands on, which represent four different postures of our heart to receive the word of God. And so I want us to look at each of those four soils in turn. The first one Jesus says is the path. Some of the seed that the sower is sowing just falls on the path that he's walking on, And it's trampled and eaten by birds. And Jesus says in verse 12, the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So there are some people who hear, but they never hear. Jesus stands offering himself, and there are some people who say to Jesus, no, or not yet. This is not a situation in which the devil is taking away their opportunity to believe. Their hearts are hard. They are not ready to receive the word of God, and that opportunity is lost. If you are here this morning, and you are saying no to Jesus, or in fact you might be saying, I don't know what to think about Jesus, this parable is doing something in you and with you. It has the power either to reveal the kingdom of God to you or to conceal it from you. And if you walk away today and you say, I have no idea what this preacher is talking about. I have no idea what this parable means. That is a warning to you that you are not responding in your heart to Jesus. And I plead with you, if you think that, if you feel that, if you have a question about that, run to somebody and ask them, what on earth does this mean? That's Jesus giving you an opportunity to respond to himself. Well, of the four soils, this is the easiest to to spot. This person hasn't responded at all to God's word, and and there's no growth there. But the next three soils we're going to see, of course, there is something happening. We do see something, and it's harder to discern who these people are. The second soil is the rocky soil. This was common in Palestine. You have a thin topsoil and rocky ground beneath it. And so a plant can grow only so much in this soil. the, The stem can spring up, but it can't develop a root system. It can't get the moisture that it needs. And so it's going to wither and die. And Jesus says, that's an example of a person, verse 13, who hears and receives the word with joy. Isn't that amazing? 
I pray to God that CPC is a place where people hear and receive the gospel with joy. But, Jesus says, they have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. Now, I want that sentence and that picture to give every single Christian here pause. I want the weight of what Jesus is saying here to fall on us, because there is such a thing as a person who prays a prayer, walks down an aisle, gets baptized, joins the church, leads a life group, sings in the choir, and something tragic happens in their life, and in time they no longer follow Jesus. They're not a believer anymore. Now I have to take a step back because there is a a struggle with every preacher to say everything there is to say in every single sermon. And the second Jesus brings this up, the second soil, a person who falls away from Jesus, that begs the question, is there such thing as a person who can lose their salvation? We want to know that. Can I really trust in Jesus and then lose my salvation? The answer to that is emphatically no. If you have been chosen by God, if you have been cleansed by Jesus, if you have been sealed by his Holy Spirit, there is no such thing as losing your salvation. You can't forfeit that. You can't give that up. You cannot fall away from Christ. But what Jesus is saying here is there for all practical, intense purposes and all things that we can see a person who looks like they have trusted in Jesus and they fall away. So what do we do with the rest of this sermon here? Do we take the one path and expound on the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints that once you are saved, you are always saved? That's important for us to know. And there are some of us here this morning, we don't need to hear a warning from Jesus. We don't need to hear Luke chapter 8. We need to get back in Luke chapter 7. We need to stand with the sinful woman and hear from Jesus, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. We're hanging on by a thread of guilt. There are some who need to hear that. Or... Do we continue to press into the parable that Jesus is giving here, these warnings that Jesus is giving? Because there are also some of us who are here this morning for whom this parable spells life or death. There are some of us who need to hear Jesus say, Come, all who are weary or heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest for your soul. And there are some of us who need to hear Jesus also say, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I don't know who you are. Depart from me. There are warnings and there are promises, but today we need to let Jesus speak. And today the thing he has for us is three warnings before he gets to his promise. So let's press into this parable. This rocky soil that he's talking about is adversity. It's what Jesus calls a time of testing. We could think of this as suffering. Now, this could be tragic, sudden suffering, like losing a loved one or getting an awful diagnosis. Some of us are here this morning, and that's where we are. Something tragic has happened recently or is happening to us right now. Or some of this suffering can be the slow, grinding, unmemorable suffering, like anxiety or depression an eating disorder, a mental disorder, infertility, living with a very hard person, a roommate or a child or a spouse. Or it can be memories of being sinned against. This is that the dull, suffering, pain that we experience. And some of you are here this morning, and that's exactly where you are. 
you feel this and you almost don't even want to put the word suffering on it because everybody can think of somebody who's suffering more than you are. And so we're reluctant to use that word suffering and to use that phrase time of testing. But little do we know that Satan can use a leaky faucet to turn us from Jesus. He doesn't need much of a foothold in your life of suffering to pull you away. Either way, there is no such thing as a static sufferer. There's no such thing as a person who is suffering either, either tragically or slowly who is standing still in their spiritual journey because suffering will either move us towards Jesus or it'll move us away from Jesus. Now, friends, I want you to hear me that all of us, whether we're suffering or not, live the Christian life in fits and starts. All of us take one step forward and two steps back. And some of you are suffering right now and your depression and anxiety and fear and guilt are so thick and so suffocating, you don't feel like you could even begin to open your Bible and study it. You don't feel like you could, it was hard for you to come and show up on Sunday morning, much less sing the songs. You are not the person who is falling away. You are the person for whom are being warned you cannot carry suffering by yourself. You cannot do this alone. You need other believers in your life. But all of us are hearing this stranger whisper, God doesn't care about you. He doesn't see you in your suffering. He doesn't, he doesn't know what this is like for you. If all the things God said about you were true, that he loved you, that he cared about you, that he would mount you up on wings like eagles, he would take this suffering from you. But because he's not doing that, he doesn't care about you. Now, we are not falling away if we hear that voice in our mind. All of us hear that voice in our mind. All of us hear the stranger's voice. All of us doubt God's goodness to us. We are falling away when we begin to believe that storyline over and against the storyline that Jesus gives us. When we believe that lie day in and day out, we hold on to that and we reject the truth of Jesus and we drift out of fellowship, we drift out of the church, we drift out of reading and studying God's word until one day we wake up and our Christian life, that experience that we had is a distant memory. That is the person who has fallen away. You can't spot that person right off the bat when they join our midst, but you can certainly spot them when they have rejected and left Jesus. So if you are here this morning, he who has an ear, let him hear. Jesus is giving us a secret of the kingdom. Let your suffering drive you to Jesus. Let it make you run to Jesus. Well, the third soil is the thorns. If the rocky soil was adversity, watch this. The thorny soil is prosperity. It's good things. Jesus says in verse 14 that such people hear but are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. If the rocky soil of adversity kills the root, the thorny soil of prosperity, it kills the fruit in our life. Like the previous soil, there is all signs of life in this person. They look like a Christian. They attend church. They speak Christianese. But in the end, they have dabbled so long and so hard in cares and riches and pleasures that those things have become the ultimate things in their life, and they wake up a fruitless stem being choked to death by these thorns. What's so insidious about this third soil? What's so insidious about this, these thorns is they don't 
register on our spiritual map. We don't, we don't see these as temptations. They look like good things. I mean, if you're, in, if you're in soil number two and you are suffering, any Christian with an ounce of compassion is going to come to you and say, look, I see this tragic loss in your life. I see that you're suffering. How are you doing? How's your spiritual walk? How are you bringing these things to Jesus? What's going on with you? But who among us, when we get a job promotion or a pay raise, we upgrade our car or our house, we start dating the person of our dreams, we ace our classes, does someone come up to us and say, look, man, everything's going right in your life and I'm concerned about you. How's your walk with Jesus? How are you taking your prosperity to Jesus? Who does that? These things don't register for us. We don't see these things. Do you know that in Palestine, weeds can grow six feet tall? That's what Jesus is referring to. We are surrounded by a grove of six foot tall weeds in our prosperity, and we don't even see them. And our closest friends and Christian brothers and sisters don't see them either because they look like good things and they do not register for us. Eger was wise to pray in Proverbs chapter 30, Give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be fool and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Of these three three things, cares and riches and pleasures, I want to just pause for a moment and talk about riches, talk about money. And if it feels like I've been talking a lot about money in the last couple of months, that's because Luke talks a ton about money. Luke, more than any other gospel writer, applies the gospel to our wallets and our purses and unpacks what this means about money. But here's what's so tricky about talking about money. Money is a good, good thing. It's wonderful for us to be gainfully employed, to work hard, and to earn as much money as we possibly can with integrity. We earn that money, we save that money, we give it away generously, but we also spend it on ourselves, and that can be a good thing. We buy things for ourselves, we enjoy the good gifts that God gives us, and all of that can be done in a life of worship. Right? Jesus worked and he earned money and he spent it. He raised money for his ministry and he budgeted that and he spent that. Money is not the issue. We are the issue. We are the problem when it comes to money. There is not a person in this room, you or I, who has a neutral relationship with money. Do you believe that? Do you believe that none of us in this room hold money with clean hands? That all of us have hands that are tainted with greed and fear and guilt and idolatry. All of us do that. Nor is money a rich person or a middle class issue. It's a human issue. I know a lot of greedy, poor people. College students are some of the greediest, poorest people I know, for instance. No offense. I can say that because I was a college student and I know what it's like to spend those years hoarding that money for myself and I could give you a hundred reasons why I could not give that to the church. And back then I was confused and I had to realize the hard way, you cannot sow four years of stinginess with your money and reap a lifetime of generosity. You can't water weeds for those years and expect to turn around and be the good plant of the gospel in the soil number four. I met two people this week who asked me in the same week to keep them accountable to tithing to the church. Can you believe that? The two people actually came to me and asked me to do that. I've been in ministry for 10 years, and I have never 
once in my entire life had anybody asked me to do that. And I have never once in my entire life asked anybody to keep me accountable for that. Which that alone should tell us something about the relationship between Americans and our money. I mean, think about it. I've asked for accountability for all kinds of things. I've asked for accountability on my time in the Word and my time in prayer. I've asked for accountability in what I'm eating and drinking, and I've asked for accountability for exercise. I've even asked for accountability for very intimate things that I wouldn't want other people to know. Like, what do I look at on the Internet screen? And what about my physical relationship with Julie while I was dating? But I have never once asked somebody to keep me accountable to tithing. In that, don't you see the deception of money? You can ask me about my sex life, but you can't ask me about how I spend my money. You can put a covenant eyes on my computer and see where I go and what I look like, but how dare you do that to my bank account and see where I spend my money and where it goes? One of these people was sharing with me that every payday on Friday, they would have full intentions to write a check and give it to the church on Sunday, but they forgot their checkbook every single payday Sunday, every single Sunday. And as we were talking about it, as we were discussing it, we began to realize and ask the question with each other, when, have, when has this left the realm of just forgetfulness and checkbook logistics And when has this turned into being deceived by a desire for money? Isn't that profound? Our money fools us. It tricks us. The love and desire for money and to hoard good things is lying to us. And most of us, myself included, don't even see all the ways that it does that. Friends, you have to believe me when I say this. I don't say any of this because Columbia Presbyterian Church needs to get your money. I don't say that because our mission to reach every man, woman, and child is going to happen by God's grace. Jesus is on his throne. Members are going to give generously, and we are going to advance the gospel. I don't say this because our church needs to get. I say this because your soul is hard up to give. Your soul needs to foster generosity because of the danger of the love of money. He who has ears, let him hear. If you withhold money and protect it and spend it on yourself, if you let it lie to you and become an idol in your life that feeds your respect, your sense of entitlement or reward or soothe self-pity, you will wake up one day a fruitless vine being choked to death by your love for money. He who has ears, let him hear. Here is a secret of the kingdom of God. Let your prosperity drive you to Jesus. When things are going well, when things are going great, let it drive you to Jesus. That's the secret of the kingdom. Well, finally, there's the good soil. And it feels kind of funny spending so little time on the good soil, the soil that we want and desire to be, and so much time on the others, but that's what Jesus does. He really paints the picture of these three warnings before he finally gives us this promise. Sometimes God's word falls on good and rich and eager soil. And these are the people in verse 15 that Jesus says, who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. After hearing about these three other soils and and the fate of these soils, I want your heart to sing when you see this fourth soil. I want you to see the freedom that is in store for you when you let the word of God grow in your heart, when it frees you from unbelief, 
from, from the suffering and entanglement of, of, of the suffering in the rock and from prosperity in the thorny soil. It frees you from those things and you are free to become what Jesus has always intended for you. Notice that Luke says that this person bears fruit with patience. This is, this is a long-standing path that God has us on. By one degree or another, by one inch at a time, Jesus wants us to look more and more like himself. That comes with patience. That comes with walking with Jesus. May we be that fourth soil, friends. Let's pray together. Father, we trust ourselves to you. We cannot do this by ourselves. We need you to grow in us the good soil. We need to be plants who, who put our roots deep in you and grow up in you and long to be like you. And so, Father, I pray for this group. I pray, Lord, that if there is, are those among us who are the hard soil or the rocky soil or the thorny soil, that you will warn us and shake us and bring brothers and sisters into our life to point us to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.